Well, good morning. Good seeing all of you here today, and I am really thankful to be here with all of you here at the Refuge. And uh, as Scott said, my name is Jonathan Dunn. I'm the lead pastor at River City Church in the Bartlett. We have a Bartlett campus and an Arlington one that's been uh, shut down temporarily. We're looking forward to open that back up. Uh, But I am so thankful to be here. And as Scott said, what I love about the Refuge is, first of all, your pastors. Uh, The guys that started this church and along the way have come together uh, are just really good friends of mine, and we love them. Uh, The other thing I love about this church is how that Scott, as he stated, we have known each other throughout this entire process. And it's kind of cool how a little over 10 years ago, God was starting a church through two guys that didn't even know each other that he brought together. And we've been really friends for this period of time and support each other. So love you. Thankful to be here this morning. And I'm also excited to be here today because what I'm going to be sharing with you is a message that God has been working in my life over for, I could say, my entire life. Uh, But he's been really specifically been speaking to me about this subject over the past year to two. And what's interesting is that last Sunday, I started this series, Don't Forget God. And in this past week, God has used circumstances, like he always does, to open my heart even in a deeper way to what I just preached last Sunday. So you guys are going to kind of get a little bit more of what I taught last week from what I learned this week. So that's what I'm going to share with you. So I'd like to dive in today by sharing with you a story about two elderly gentlemen that attended a dinner party together with their wives. And these two guys went, they sat down at a table, and these guy, one of the guys looked at his friend, and he said, hey, he said, last week, the wife and I went to this brand new restaurant downtown, and it was amazing. Like, I tore up a bunch of appetizers, I ate a salad after that, I then destroyed an entree, and then I ate, I don't know how many desserts, and I was so full that I could barely walk out of the place. And after he said that, his friend looked at him and he said, well, man, I'm all about that. I love good food. I love experiences like that. Where did you go? And his friend looked at him with a blank look on his face. He said, I can't remember. And he sat there for a minute. He started rubbing his chin and he said, "Um, all right, help me with this. He said, what's the name of that flower? You know, the one that you can buy by the dozen. You give it on romantic occasions. It's different colors. It has thorns on the stem. What's the name of that flower? And his friend looked at me. He said, a rose? He said, yeah, 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 that's it. And he leaned across the table, looked at his wife. He said, hey, Rose, what's the name of that restaurant that we ate at this past week? Now, here's what I know. I know that there are a number of you here, you're all laughing, okay? And those of you at home, you're laughing as well. But here's what I know. There's some nervous laughter because some of you, you have forgotten your spouse's name a time or two, haven't you? Yeah. Can I, can I get an amen on that? Or if nothing else, one of your kids, you've definitely done that. Now, I won't judge you, but that's happened. You know, isn't it true, though, having a good memory is so important to having a healthy life? Isn't it true? I mean, it is so important to have a healthy memory because... Having a healthy memory is absolutely important to know who you are and also to just kind of navigate your way through day-to-day life. A little over two weeks ago, I was sitting at the kitchen table and I was just working. And in the midst of just typing on my computer, I had this thought run through my mind that there was something I needed to do. And so I got up because it was in the bedroom and I began to walk back to the bedroom. And as soon as I walked through the doorway, it was like something just zapped my brain and I completely forgot what I needed to do. And so I just found myself standing in front of this shelf because that was the last part of the memory I had was that it was something to do with something on the shelf. And as I stood there looking at this shelf, I was like, okay, okay, brain, just start firing, start firing. Just remind remind me what was it I came in here to do? But I had nothing. 
And so I stood there, started shuffling things around, nothing. And then finally, after just, you know, 30 seconds to a minute of this, I decided I was going to walk back into the kitchen, retracing my steps, looking for clues along the way, hoping I would be able to put my memory back together, just piece by piece by piece, and then turn around and come back in here and do what I need to do. But I got to the table and nothing happened. So when I sat down, I sat down with this nagging sense that something was missing. Like there was this thing that was so important that I needed to do, but I just couldn't for the life of me, I couldn't remember what in the world it was. Now, have any of you ever done this before? Have y'all had that happen? Yeah. Isn't it frustrating when that happens? Because when that happens, you sit down and you know there's something you need to do. You know it's important, but you can't find the memory. Like it seems so close yet so far away. It's buried around in your cerebral cortex. I mean, it's just there somewhere, but you can't get to it. Well, as I sat down, I just began to work with this nagging sense of, okay, come on, come on, come on. And then finally, the, pot, the, the memory popped. It came from my subconscious, entered into my prefrontal cortex. I jumped up, and here's what I did this time. I ran to the bedroom because I wasn't going to forget it this time. And when I got in there, I did the thing that I needed to do. And this time, when I walked back into the kitchen, I didn't do so with this nagging sense something's missing. I walked back relieved because the thing I needed to do, I got it done. Now, I know some of you are wondering, Jonathan, what in the world was that important that you needed to do, right? Y'all want to know what that is? Okay, I would tell you, but I can't remember, okay? I really can't. I'm not lying. I can't. I forgot it. I remembered it. Now I forgot it again, or I would tell you. But on a serious note, on a serious note, as important as it is for you to remember your spouse's name, pretty important, their birth date, your anniversary date, their favorite food, their favorite color, as well as for you to remember Valentine's. Y'all can tell some of the things I have forgotten these past 22 years, okay? As important as this is for all of us, what the scriptures tell us is that the most important person in the world that you cannot afford to forget is Yahweh, is God. That when it comes to life, the most important person in the world you need to hold on to, to remember, to know, is God. You see, to forget about God or to forget God is a lot like walking through your life with this nagging sense that there's someone really important, but you don't know who it is that's missing from your life. To to forget God is a lot like walking through this life from place to place, experience to experience, with this nagging sense that there's something bigger, something more important, something better for you to experience than what you are currently experiencing. But you don't know where it is. You don't know what it is. You don't know how to get there. You see... Knowing God is so important, and the reason why is because when you know God, you find your true self, and you find your way in life. That's what the Scriptures tell us. The Scriptures tell us that when you know God, and you have a relationship with Him, you know who you truly are. You find your true self, and you find your way in life. But if you forget it, you lose yourself, and you lose your way in life. As I've thought through this truth, some really well-known words by Jesus have come to mind over and over and over again. These are words that many of you have heard before. And Luke records them for us in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 23. And here's what Luke said that Jesus stated. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? So Luke records these words by Jesus, and here Jesus was in kind of the early part of his ministry, and as he was performing miracles and he was teaching, all these people just started flocking to him. 
And the reason why was because when he took Lunchables and he fed 5,000, that would get somebody's attention, right? When he would speak, he would speak in words of demonstrating power and authority, unlike the Pharisees, the Sadducees, scribes, and all the religious zealots of his day. There was something amazing about Jesus. And so when Jesus saw these people, he said, look, if you want to follow me, if you want to come after me, you've got to give your life to me. You've got to let go of your life. You have to deny yourself. And what Jesus was saying is, is that if you do that, you will find your true self and you will find your way in life. But Jesus also said, but if you reject me, if you do not do that, then you will actually lose or forfeit yourself. And the reason why Jesus was saying this was because it was through Jesus that you could be restored into this covenant relationship or this loving relationship with Yahweh. It's only through Jesus. And Jesus said, if you give me your life, I will restore you to the Father. If you turn from me and reject me, then you can live your life trying to gain everything in the world, but at the end of it, you lose yourself and you lose your way. These words here were some of the very first words in Scripture that I memorized after God got a hold of my heart at the ripe age of 20. And the reason why I memorized these words was because these words captured so powerfully just what my life was like for the first 20 years of my life, and then what my life was like at that moment. You see, for the first 20 years of my life, by the way, I grew up in a preacher's home, okay? I'm a PK. Yeah, I was a great kid, yeah. But for the first 20 years of my life, I lived my life, and it was as if I was walking from the kitchen to the living room, back and forth with this nagging sense, someone important was missing in my life, and there was something bigger I was to be a part of, but I did not know who it was or what it was for the first 20 years of my life. But on a Tuesday night at a youth camp, when I was a counselor for students, okay? I wasn't a student. When I was there to help other students, on that night, the Spirit opened my heart. And what he showed me is that who had been missing, what I'd been missing, was Jesus. My heart had been longing for him. And when the Spirit opened my heart to Jesus and I gave my life to Jesus, on that night, everything changed for me. I found my true self. I found my true self because when I gave my life to Jesus and I had this relationship with my father, my father told me how he saw me, who I was, and who he had created me to be. When I gave my life to Jesus, I no longer had this nagging sense of like there's something bigger, something more important, something missing in my life. Because when I gave my life to him, I then saw that life is not designed. Life was never intended for me to live all for me. My life was intended and created by God for me to live just aligning with what he's doing in this big old world around me. You see, when I gave my life to Jesus, everything changed. This nagging sense, someone's missing, something's missing, went away, and what came flooding into my life was peace and joy. And friends, here's the best way I can tell you why that that was the case. It's because I finally had God, and God finally had me. You know, my belief is if we went around this room and even those of you at home, if we were to share our stories, that there are a number of you in here like me, that although your story and your experience with God would be different, there would be similarities. And I believe what would be true for some of you is that as you were to share about your life, that you would talk about in your past, there was a time where God got a hold of you. And when he got a hold of your heart, he changed your life. Some of you would speak to how that when God got a hold of you, that what he did is that he freed you from a drug or an alcohol addiction. Some of you would talk about how that when God got a hold of your heart, that he healed your heart so much that he healed your marriage. 
That there, your marriage up to that point was a, a point where you and your spouse, your friends and your family believed there was no hope for it. But when God got a hold of you, he did something so powerful in your life that he brought your marriage together. Some of you would talk about how when God got a hold of you, that he freed you from the grip of greed in your life. He freed you from being a workaholic because you had been giving your life trying to find your identity in the things that you could acquire, the things you could achieve in this life. But he freed you from that because you found your true self in your father. Others of you would talk about how he freed you from a sexual issue, a sexual addiction possibly, pornography, and on and on and on. And I believe that at the end of it, if we all just shared our stories, none of us in here that have experienced that grace of God would be shocked, right? Now, we'd be amazed, we'd be encouraged, we wouldn't be shocked. And the reason why is because we know that's who our God is. You see, our God meets us where we are in life. He loves us there, and then he changes our lives. That's the God that we worship. That's the true God of Christianity. There's been something I've been thinking about lately, and I shared it with River City last week, and I'll share it with you today. And I'll go ahead and preface what I'm about to share with you and tell you it's a little out there, okay? But just hang with me, and it will hopefully make sense in the end. I began to just imagine, what if, right on the other side of that encounter I had with God at the age of 20, my younger self, my 20-year-old self, stumbled upon a time machine. Now, not a hot tub, okay? We're not going with that reference, all right? For those of you that know what I'm talking about. But a DeLorean. And if you don't know what I'm talking about there, Back to the Future, if you're too young for that, go watch the movies. They're fantastic. But imagine if my 20-year-old self, right after having this encounter with God, stumbled upon a DeLorean, jumped to where I am today, 24 years later, and without me knowing it, my 20-year-old self followed me around observing the patterns of my life for 30 days. Now, I know that sounds creepy, but remember, it's me watching me, okay? Just, I know, I know. And imagine that my 20-year-old self watches me and watches what I'm like as a husband, like what I am like as a father, as a neighbor, how I lead my team in our church, and even watches how I interact with God. And then imagine with me, that on the other side of that 30 days, my younger me introduces himself or me to me today and freaks me out. And then we have a follow-up conversation as to what my younger version, my younger me observed. How do you think that would go? Now, as I thought through this, I think there'd be a few things we would talk about at least to lead into it. I think my younger version with my 20-year-old self would look at me and say, what happened to the abs? Okay, what happened to the abs? I, I, I really do, because my 20-year-old self, back then, I used to brag about how I had natural abs. I didn't have to work for them. They were just there, and I took a lot of pride in those. And so I'd have to go through and explain to my younger self, okay, well, just wait, just wait, right? I think my younger self would look at me with a sly grin and say, you know, I was right when I told Melissa Phillips on our first date that we would get married. Because here we are today, 22 years later, happily married. I think my younger self would look at me and say, are you crazy or are you stupid or both for having five kids? And, and I would just have to go, I know, I know, I, you know. But here's the main thing. Here's the main thing I've been thinking about. The main thing I've been thinking about is, would my younger self, right after God just captured my heart, changed my life, looking at where I am today, would my younger self be encouraged by what I am today and what my life looks like or discouraged? Would I be encouraged or discouraged? Would my younger self look at where I am today and just get so pumped saying, oh my gosh, so the next 24 years of life, God's going to be doing these things to where that, that is amazing. Or would my younger self look at me today and say, what happened to you? What happened? 
Did you forget God? Did you forget him? What about you? I know this is relative to everyone. But think back to the time in your life where God was so big, God was so amazing in your life that you were enjoying him. And imagine at that point, if you stumbled upon a time machine, jumped to where you are today, watched you for 30 days, had that follow-up conversation, would your younger you look at you now and be encouraged by where you are with God or discouraged? Would your younger you look at you and say, what happened with you? Did you forget God? Now, the reason why I think this is so, so important for us to think through today, okay? There's a reason for this. It's because when you take the scriptures and you open them up, what you find as you read it through are story after story after story after story of people who had encounters with God where he showed up big time in their life. He changed their lives. And as you read through their stories, as they unfold under your eyes, what you see is that at certain points, they just wander away from God. They forget God. They part from God. And as I've read these stories, and I know many of you have, there's been times I'm reading it, and at the end of it, I'm thinking, man, if you just would have leaned into God instead of pulled away from him, if you just would have continued to trust God, your life could have been so much different. If you just would have done that. And this morning, what I want to do is I want for us to look at a text, a very powerful teaching that God's been using in my life, where Moses speaks very strongly and very, I believe, clearly as to what it looks like to forget God and how you end up there. And what I want to walk you through, we're going to flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 8. If you have your Bible or if you have a device, you want to scroll over there. And before we jump in, I'll give you just a little bit of background as to where we're going. And I think this is important to know. You see, Moses, when he delivers these words to these people, these were a group of people that he had been through a lot with. This was a group of people that we refer to today as the children of Israel. Moses had led them from the time for 40 plus years from when he took them out of Egypt, from slavery in Egypt, through the wilderness, and he had led them now, and where they were was at the finish line, crossing over into the land of promise that God had promised to give them. And as Moses was getting ready to send them over, because he had been told by God that he was not going to be able to go with them, Moses, with a heart filled with love for these people, keep in mind, he had seen some of them born, he'd seen them grow, he'd seen them get married, seen them have kids, right? But with a heart filled with love for these people, much like a father or a mother who knew that their time with their kids was almost up, he wanted for them to know some things that were so important because he wanted for them to flourish in this life with God. And it's with that heart, Moses said this in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11, the very first part. He says, be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God. So here's what he's saying. Be careful, I'm not going with you, that when you get over there, you leave the land flowing with dirt into the land flowing with milk and honey, right? Be careful that when you get over there that you don't get over there and forget the Lord your God. Now, here's what he goes on to do, and I love this. He goes on and he defines what he means by forgetting the Lord your God. Look at the verse with me in full. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commands, ordinances, and statutes that I'm giving you today. Okay, now here's, this is important. Here's what Moses is saying. 
What Moses is not saying is, is be careful that when you get over there that God doesn't slip from your memory and you, you cease to believe that he exists. Okay, that's not what he's saying about forgetting God. What Moses is making a point of is be careful that when you get over there that God slips from leading and directing your life. That's what he's saying. Be careful that when you get over there that you don't look at God and you know what God wants for you to do, but you look at him and you say, no, I want to do what I want to do. You see, people who forget God are people through their actions, if nothing else, they say to God, forget you, God. That's what people who forget God do. And so Moses warns them. Now, what I love he does is that next, in verse 12, he goes on and he describes how people who've had these major, incredible encounters with God end up in a place where they say to God, nothing else with their actions, forget you, God. And here's what he tells us, verse 12. When you eat and are full and build beautiful houses to live in and your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold multiply and everything else you have increases, be careful that your heart doesn't become proud and you forget the Lord your God. Wow, right? Wow. What he's saying is this, is that through this time when they were enslaved to Pharaoh and through the 40 plus years of wandering in the wilderness, They were in a place where everything was unstable, everything was uncertain, everything was chaotic. And what he knew was, is as they crossed over into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, and circumstantially things got better for them and things changed, he knew that there'd be a tendency in their heart to fill with pride and to see all these things and to say, well, I don't really need God, so then you forget God. That's what he was warning them about. Now, what he goes on to do is interesting, is he now addresses this kind of pride-filled heart thing. And it's really fascinating how he speaks into that. Look with me in verse 14 on. Be careful that your heart doesn't become proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions, a thirsty land where there was no water. He brought water out of the flint rock for you. He fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers had not known, in order to humble and test you so that in the end he might cause you to prosper. The way that he goes about addressing this pride-filled heart, the way he addresses it is he reminds them of all the things God had done for them. He's reminding them, remember? That when you were enslaved in Egypt and there was no way you could get out on your own, remember it was God, it was Yahweh who performed those miracles, who brought Moses to deliver you out of Egypt. Remember that when we were in the wilderness and you needed food and you needed water, there was no way that you could get it on your own, that it was God who did all that. He reminds them of God. But then it's like he goes on and he switches gears here and he gives a little bit more insight into what a heart looks like that fills with pride, that forgets all these things about God. And he says it in verse 17. Look at this with me. He says, you may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. Isn't that interesting? So it's like he's saying, if you forget all that stuff, here's what's going to happen. Your heart's going to fill with pride. You're going to get over there. Circumstantially, everything's great. You you don't really think you need God, so you forget God. And what you're going to do is you're going to start looking at all these amazing things in your life, and you're going to say, I'm pretty awesome. It's my power, my ability that has done all of this. But I love what he says in verse 18. Look at that. He says, but remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. Isn't that powerful? 
Like he just looks at me and says, but let me just give you a little dose of reality, okay? So your feet are not firmly planted on the ground. Your feet are floating up in the air, okay? You're just delusional. So let me just bring you back down to earth. Remember, it is God who gives you the ability to do the things that you do. It's like Moses is saying, you need to sober up from your pride. You're drunk on pride. When you start thinking this way, living this way, you are drunk on your pride and you need to sober up. And then he goes on and he concludes by warning them at this point. Now remember, he's not mad, okay? He's trying to, he loves them. He wants them to prosper, to flourish in the land that God gives them. But he goes on to tell them, if you forget the Lord your God, here's what's going to happen in verse 19. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods to serve them and bow and worship to them, I testify against you today that you will perish like the nations the Lord is about to destroy before you You will perish if you do not obey the Lord your God. Moses tells him, look, God's done all this for you. Remember all these things he's done for you. When you get over there, don't forget him. Don't let your heart fill with pride. Don't do any of those things, but I'm just warning you, if you get over there, if you do, and you ever forget him, you're going to perish. You're going to perish. And then he points to these nations that God, they knew, was going to drive out of the land. A group of people, nations of people who had rejected Yahweh, who had turned to false gods. And he said, what is going to happen to them will end up happening to you if you ever forget the Lord your God. Now, many of you, some of you, have read through the stories in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and you've seen that that's exactly what happened, sadly, to the people of Israel. You see time after time after time where they would just turn to false gods. They would forget God. And then all hell would break loose in their nation. They would fight amongst themselves. They would divide. They were conquered, all these things. And all through their history, what did God do? He kept raising up prophet after prophet after prophet to look to the people and call them back to God. They would call them back to God. You see, the reason why I believe what Moses said here is so important for all of us today It's because I have noticed a pattern in my life, and really, I've noticed a pattern in everyone's lives that I know that's around me, every relationship I have, and even people I just kind of observe from the outside. And the pattern that I've noticed is is that when things are rough, like when we're experiencing a crisis, a health crisis, a financial crisis, um, a relational crisis, something of that nature, it's in those times that we tend to live looking to the heavens, crying out to God, with humble and open hearts to Him. It's in these times where we pray a lot. We actually take the Scriptures and we start reading them. We dust them off, right? Blow them off and we read them. It's in these times that we start going to church. We're engaging with other believers. It's in these times that we start reaching out to people and asking them for counsel and for insight into our lives. Because it's in those moments when we're in a place where there's chaos and uncertainty and all these things, we just look to the heavens and say, God, I've got to have you. But what I've noticed is, is that when the dust settles, when things turn back to normal at some level, or the new normal, we have a tendency to, as we look around circumstantially and things are not chaotic, but they seem to be calm, they kind of seem to be controllable, things like that, that's when we tend to put our heads down and begin to live our lives as if we don't need God. We forget it. One of the most recent examples I've seen that I think all of you here, and myself included, can relate to in some way or another, was around March of this year, when COVID arrived on our shores here in our country. And 
We all, I'm sure, experience that and look at that differently, but in a lot of ways in the same way. But when that happened, none of us knew what to do, did we? Doctors didn't know what to do. Scientists didn't know what to do. The government didn't know what to do, no matter what they say. And you and I sure as heck did not know what to do. And as videos and footage and more insights started leaking out through the media from Wuhan and Europe and Australia and New York, and we found ourselves looking at these things, what began to grip a lot of us, just being real and raw about it, was fear. And in that time, I remember having discussions with people and just the overall tone of our discussions, the dialogue we would have. And I'm talking like smart, well-put-together people, right? Like you. There was, we were sobered up by this. And the reason why we were so sobered or humbled was because we knew there was no one smart enough or powerful enough to protect us. So we were really more open to God and saying, God, our creator, will you protect us? Will you take care of us? But here we are eight, roughly eight months later. And I've seen in my heart, and I've seen in a lot of other hearts, we've shifted a little bit, haven't we? Like the way that we saw things in, the way that we felt, the way we talked, the way we looked to God versus how we are now, a lot of us, if you look at what Moses said here and how he describes it, candidly, we have forgotten God. We have forgotten Him. You see, I believe, I believe that what God wanted for the children of Israel to know then, what he was saying to Moses, and what God wants for all of us to know today, really the big idea is, is that God wants for you to live in the land of blessing the same way you live in the land of need. God wants for you to live in the land of blessing the same way you lived in the land of need. Guys, life is not meant to be lived fluctuating between, okay, I need you, God, I don't need you, God. I need you, God, I don't need you, God. That is not the way this life is meant to be lived. The way God designed for life to be lived, the way that we flourish in life, where we find peace and joy in life, is living the same way in our times of blessing that we do in need. And that is with our hearts open to the heavens, our eyes to the heavens, like the children of Israel in the wilderness, no matter how it looks circumstantially, and saying, God, here's my life. I need you. That's the way life is meant to be lived. Now, how do I believe in what the Scriptures tell us? Would God tell us to, to guard against forgetting Him? Well, I think the first thing He would tell us is this. Don't buy the lie of pride inside. Don't buy the lie of pride inside. If you try to say that 10 times in a row, you'll start speaking in tongues. It's amazing, okay? If you've never done that, there you go. That's how you get there. Or spell banana backwards, whichever works for you, okay? But no, seriously, don't buy the lie of pride inside. You see, when our hearts fill with pride, that's when we lose sight of who we really are and we lose sight of who God really is. This is what I meant when I said earlier that to know who you truly are. To know truly your way through life is not found with pride in your heart. It's with a humble heart looking to the heavens. Now, how do you know if your heart is filled with pride or your heart is shifted towards pride? Because it's tough to figure that out, isn't it? I mean, honestly, without the Spirit helping you, you you can't tell. Well, I think Moses tells us and gives us a couple of ways you can know. Uh, The first way he mentions is he started talking about how that people who are filled with pride or who forget God they stop taking this seriously. The Scripture, the words of God, the commands of God, the ordinance of God. 
that when your heart fills with pride, you stop taking this seriously. Now, I know this fairly well because I've done this a lot. And likely I'm not the only one here that's done this. But what happens is, is that when your heart starts filling with pride and you start forgetting God, then you start picking and choosing what commands that God says that you actually want to apply to your life and the others you just ignore. Because here's what happens. When your heart's full of pride, you don't want anyone telling you what to do. You've already got your plan and your vision for life. And so if God in any way is getting in your way of that, you're like, yeah, 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 no, no, no. And you ignore those things. You may outright reject those things. You see, the scriptures tell us a lot about how God wants us to live our lives. He tells us what to do with our bodies. He tells us what to do with our minds, our words, our relationships, our money, our time. And when we say, no, no, I know better, that's an indicator. Your heart is full of pride and you, as Moses would say, have forgotten God. Here's the other one that I've noticed. Remember when Moses talked about how that your heart would be filled with pride and you'll look at all the things that are amazing in your life and you'll say, man, look at what I've done. What I've seen in my life is that when that's true about me, if my heart's filled with pride, instead of looking to the heavens and praising the one as if these are all gifts to me that he wants for me to enjoy, I begin looking in the mirror and really saying, man, you're pretty good, Jonathan. You're really good. See, there's a big difference between a heart that is grateful and a heart that's entitled. You see, people who look to the heavens and see every good and perfect gift is from above, as James says, that's given to us. When people look to the heavens and they see it that way, they have a grateful heart, and therefore, as a result, the output is a generous life. Open heart to God, open heart to the world, and open hands. That's what generous people, grateful people do. But people who are filled with pride... They don't look to the heavens and see everything as a gift. They ultimately look in the mirror and they think it's all theirs, that they've done it and they deserve it, they've earned it. And so they don't want anyone telling them what they are to do with the things that they have. That's what Moses warns against. So these two things, if nothing else, are indicators that you have forgotten God, that your heart is becoming proud. You know, the other thing that's really interesting about pride is, is when your heart's filled with pride, it shuts God out. But when your hearts are humble, they invite God, it invites God in. You invite him in. So how do you get out of this pride-filled heart way of life? How do you do it? Just what Moses said over and over and over again. Remember God. Remember God. He told these children of Israel, remember, he took you out of Egypt. He provided for you these 40 years, and he's the one that's giving you this land. You know what he would say to Christians? He's the one who sent Jesus to rescue you from sin and death what you were enslaved to. He's the one who's given you the spirit throughout this life. And he's the one that's going to give you the land of promise, the new heaven and the new earth when he brings everything back together again. It's all God. It's all Jesus. And as we remember the gospel, we remember the good news that it is not something we earn or deserve, but it's all a gift to us as we rebel and run from God as the father with the two sons. He wants for everyone to come in, but he's always looking in our direction, longing for us to come home. That's what he would remind us of. And what I've seen is, is that when we remember God and we remember his love for us, that's what melts the pride in my heart. And that's what will melt the pride in your hearts. And that's why it's so important every day, friends. Listen, it's so important. Be still and know that he is God. Be still and know that he is God. I know you're busy. We're all busy, right? But you're not too busy to be still before your heavenly father. Be still and know that he is God. Let him remind you of his love for you. Let the spirit work and stir in your soul and it will melt the pride in your heart. Because like the apostle Paul said in Romans chapter, I think it's two verse four, 
He said that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Aren't you thankful for that? The more that you're still and the more you're reminded about the goodness of God, that's what really draws you to a place of repentance, of giving your heart back to Him. It's not His wrath. It's His kindness. So that is what God wants to do in your life. So as I wrap up, let me just ask you, have you forgotten God? Like for real. Are you in a place right now to where in your heart you would say, you know, I haven't been living remembering God. I haven't really been in a place where I've been taking His truth seriously. I haven't been giving Him thanks for all of His good gifts in my life. And if that's where you're at, what I know He wants for you to do this morning and every day is just to pray and say, Father, here's my life, all of my life. Here's the thing, as you do that, that joy and that peace, you'll experience it daily by the Spirit, and that nagging sense of someone's missing, something's missing, it'll go away. Because your Father is the one that your heart longs for in enjoying Him. Let me pray for us.